Hello, friends, and welcome to the most glorious of events, the Movie Mavericks Podcast. This outstanding program is hosted by two fine gentlemen, Jason and Trevor. Now make it so. MovieMavericks.com Hey now, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of the Movie Mavericks Podcast. I'm Trevor Anderson. Hello, Jason Rugard. He's going to tell us uh, what we're talking about. You can call me Norman if you'd like. (laughs) Hello. Hello there. We are talking about City Slickers, the 1991 smash hit comedy starring Billy Crystal, Danley Billy Crystal, and Daniel. Did I say that funny? I feel like I said that. Daniel Stern. Yes, you're right. You're good so far. (laughs) Yeah, I got through the first 23 seconds of our podcast pretty well. Who else? Who else is in this? Helen Slater. A lot of people oh, in this God. movie. Um, Bruno Kirby? Yeah, even the late Bruno Kirby. We were just talking about this off Jake uh, Gyllenhaal? I, I noticed Jake Gyllenhaal. I had never noticed him before in this movie. Neither um, have I, but isn't he one of the most noticeable like, kids. people as a child? Yeah, and especially just that stare, that Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal stare, you know? A little some bitch. A little talented yeah. little eight-year-old. Jeffrey Tambor's in this <laughs> film as well. Let's not forget him. As the boss. Yes. Right. Right. Um, hey now, I know, we know. Great movie, directed by Ron Underwood. I don't know why I thought this was a Rob Reiner film. For some reason, this felt like it has the Rob Reiner touch. Maybe because he <laughs> collaborated with Wood, uh, Crystal so much. I suppose. I mean, I think this uh, it looks exactly like it came from the director of Tremors. Oh, or well, Heart and Soul. I think <laughs> very an overlooked movie. Uh, I well, I did like Mighty Joe Young, though. I will say that. Didn't Ron um, Underwood? Isn't he responsible? For the cinematic shit show that is Pluto Nash. Yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> Which effectively ended his career. Oh, very much so. He, uh, I mean, at this point, he is basically television. Yeah. A lot of these guys that were making movies in the 90s, a lot of them, Michael Lehman, uh, Ron Underwood, for example, Ernest Dickerson, they're all doing television shows now. So some of your favorite shows, uh, and maybe why you like them so much, is because they're directed yeah, by very talented people. Yeah, he's actually done some people. big ones and, and some good ones, so. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's talk about the box office gross of City Slickers. This came out in a very competitive summer mm. that saw Robin Hood and Terminator 2 battling for the one and two spot. But City Slickers was right up there and was the, the comedy hit of the year in the summer, that's for sure. It did about $270 million adjusted for today's money. It's almost $300 million for a comedy. Kind of unheard of, uh, unless you're something like The Hangover or something, you know, some phenomenal uh, pop culture and phenomenon. And it kind of was kind of was a hangover type thing wasn't it uh, i mean a sense friends going out into the desert i see a lot of similarities lost. between the hangover <laughs> and city slickers uh the difference not as being, raunchy obviously but right yeah. and the city slickers has a nice heart and kind of a sweetness to it but even the cheating with the main you know the ed helms character and the sure that's a good point daniel yeah stern and daniel stern yeah and, and, a, and a main character who is uh maybe a bit lost and soul searching and realizing what he has isn't the worst either. So there's some nice uh, similarities between those two films. The sequel to this was not my favorite. And you recently watched that as well. Uh, as a, this, the first one is a superior film, right? Is a what is the superior film of the two? Oh, uh, I mean, what do you should, what, how crazy would it be if I said, no, City Slickers 2 is so great and amazing. Um, yeah, of course the first one's way better. The second one is just attacked on continuation of these characters. It really doesn't have the heart or the messaging or, 
um, even the issues uh, that the that the first one has. The second one is pretty much Goonies for adults. It, remember it being a little bit more Indiana Jones esque, whereas this first one, uh, was Indiana Jones, however driven. you want to say it, they just it's basically they go on, they wind up going on a, on a gold hunt, a treasure hunt, right, uh, and and that's it, and and that's the whole movie. They don't they don't learn anything. They don't really do anything. It's really missing the heart you know, completely, but I really didn't mind it too much. I thought it was a, a decent enough film. I liked the characters, so I didn't mind revisiting it. And as far as just, uh, n- knowing that it wasn't going to be that uh, reach the same heights or even attempt it, uh, made it a lot easier to watch. I, th- I think if, if you had seen city slickers right in 91, and then you you waited three years and three out years. comes this, th- this new one. Yeah. Well, city slickers two ninety four, right? So 91, 94, three years, yeah. you get the new one. Uh, and let's not forget, Steve Slicker's Academy Award winning film, you know? So th- this thing comes out, yeah. Uh, you'd be insane not to talk trash about it, right? Yeah, the second one was, it made it at $96 million adjusted, so it did well enough uh, considering, but it wasn't nearly as uh, esteemed as the first one here. And the first one was shot by Dean Semler coming off of Dances with Wolves where he'd won an Oscar mm-hmm. for that. And this is a beautifully shot comedy. It really looks well. They, everything is perfectly done in this. Um, some of the framing at times is, is... I never noticed this. I saw this so many times as a kid that rewatching it now, some of the dialogue was like... I remember the cadences. Didn't really get the jokes when I was younger. There's a lot more going on in this movie than I recalled. But I do remember certain shots and the music of course by mark shaman oh yeah uh, i think that's one of the highlights as well this is very i'm still humming the theme you know it's fun all the way around. well it has that magnificent seven um you know big there's uh, a melodity to it western type theme yeah yeah it feels big and grandiose and like we're really mm-hmm. getting something done here and this is a comedy that wears its heart on its sleeve quite often uh it, it's to me, it's it's so sweet at times that uh, it's really a father-son thing going on here in this movie. There's a lot of father-son issues. Uh, Bruno mm. Kirby's story about his father, uh, Crystal's about his father, uh, even the fact that Daniel Stern's great story about his life was about when he got winked at by his dad at his wedding. There's a lot of father-son things in the dentist and his son. And this movie has a strange predilection with baseball. Did you notice that? How much yeah, baseball does. talk there was in this movie? Yeah. They even have a scene where they play in baseball in the Old West. What would, I but know I, I uh, Crystal's that's, in that's New kind York. Of a, a, I was, but it's kind of a guy thing, right? I think they were trying to do, right? I macho them up like, a little bit. What do these bit. guys talk about when they get together, right? These guys talk about baseball. I just thought it it's was kind a of a guy thing. I at mean, one point I, in this movie. I don't, I don't know if it's a lot. I didn't. It didn't bother me. I just noticed it. But, I, I, yeah. I just kept noticing mm-hmm. it as, as it ran through. But let's start at the beginning here, and this movie starts with an animated credit sequence, which was so 80s going into the it's something very the, the 80s. 90s hadn't dropped yet, but it was such a dominant thing in the yeah. 80s. Yeah, a lot of 90s movies did have it as well. This is early 90s, so it's it's forgivable. Um, I don't know. I, I, I wish that uh, some movies nowadays would bring this back. Yeah, it was kind of fun to have the animated know. title just, sequence. Just you, once, you, once or twice a year, you know? Yeah. And this movie starts movie. with the bull run, which I totally forgot. The sequence with the running of the bulls. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of energy. The second this thing starts, it's filmed with a great urgency and energy. And there's a 
there's a tone and a consistency that plays and in the movie's worst minute movies or moments goodness i'm having a stroke on air um it slows down a bit but in the comedic moments it really does have a timing that's that's really deft i I was watching this movie and nodding my head in that oh this was a great thing to see at this stage in life uh in my life Mm -hmm. because i'm understanding what these characters are talking about and some of their fears and and happiness now seeing it now right yeah at at this point because i mean like i said i saw it when i was a kid yeah as a kid, you uh, when we saw this as kids, uh, you definitely knew that this was a good movie. You enjoyed it. You liked it and everything. But you didn't know why. And definitely seeing it now as we are essentially the same age as these characters, um, the mid- this movie uh, you know, de- tackles the midlife crisis perfectly. right? And it even gives you an answer to, to help you tackle it yourself. And it deals with all so those things, pretty, not only I, midlife, think, but like – the things that are peripheral to that, the impending, you know, Crystal has uh, a thing of wanting to talk about death and thinking about his own mortality. Um, there is the the stern character who says, this is as good as things are going to get. Let it be. Right. Write it out. Well, that's you know, definitely the midlife crisis, right? Kirby. But they're all going through the midlife crisis in different ways. Of course you know? they are. But the movie is, is doing that as well. You, say, you mentioned it opens with the, the running of the bulls. Of course, these guys are on the run. You know, life's running them down, basically. Yeah, nice. Like the the theme of this movie is <clears throat> is not only midlife crisis, but also control, right? And these theme, those two themes run throughout the entire film, um, including what obviously the 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 thing that won Jack Palance the Academy Award here, which is the the one thing speech. That's a great speech, but right. I mean, to take your metaphor even further, they were the herd, and now they're shepherding the herd they're no longer being shepherded you know they're all kind of breaking free and as well yeah sure yeah so that's why i I thought it was a nice little touch to this but jack palance this was the infamous one-arm push-up on the oscar night stage you know and that was because of this movie and my exposure to jack palance previous to city slickers was only batman i mean i was a young i know young kid so I didn't know of his long legacy in the film and i just always thought him as a really oddball character with a strange speaking pattern and this movie, though, even more so than Batman, to me, was the movie I thought of when I thought of Jack Palance. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I agree entirely. And it's no wonder. I mean, when, when you finally get up to the point where he delivers that, that speech, uh, the, arguably the most important part of the entire movie, right? Yeah, it is. Um, it, it's like, I mean, I'm sitting here watching this. I'm already having seen it, of course, not really re- totally remembering, but everything about the, by the way, that's a perfect scene. Everything about that scene, the direction, the framing, the blocking, uh, the line delivery and everything, but especially that speech coming out of Jack Palance and, and being delivered straight to, uh, uh, to Billy Crystal here. It's like, you're like, yeah, that's if I get the, just give him the award now. Just give it to him. Like, that's fantastic. I remember thinking at the time that they had given it to him as the Lifetime Achievement Award. You know, like it was the, this is our last chance to honor him. He might not ever be this good again. Let's give it to him. But having seen it again, he kills that scene. That is a great scene. I don't know if it's enough to win an Oscar, but it's enough to be nominated for one. That's for sure. Uh, Well. I mean, it's it's split in hairs. Sure, but I would say... Uh, I would say to win it. I mean, it was, it was like, I don't know. The delivery was so perfect. I think, I don't know of anyone else that, that, that um, could really have delivered that. And you, could you imagine uh, who did who, they wanted? Uh, uh, what's his name for this role? Bronson. Uh, they wanted Bronson. Charles Bronson. That was who uh, Crystal initially went after and Bronson didn't want to do it because his character died. 
Yeah, but could you imagine Charles Bronson delivering? The, I, it would be so dark. I don't even. I, I don't know how it would work. Right? It would I mean, have least had Jack the gravity. Palance is like a cartoon character, Western cowboy, right? I like Bronson, um, and Palance wouldn't uh, deliver too. it. Just like wouldn't have delivered it that well. But he, if he you have wouldn't. a if you have a a, a comedy movie. Uh, about this type of stuff, then Palance was perfect. He was perfectly cast. There's some great throwaway lines in this movie. I mean, everyone remembers the hello, which you had uh, done at the top of the hello. show, which he constantly is doing in this movie. And the, I need a vacation, or I'm on a vacation, and then kind of in mm-hmm. the rawhide moments, the ass chapping. But when he, his wife asks him at the beginning what he wants for his birthday, and he says a cat scan, I mean, those <laughs> Billy Crystal type lines are all over this movie. The sequence where Jake Gyllenhaal, the boy, has to have his dad come to school and talk about his yeah, career. career day. That is a great scene, but before Crystal scene. even gets started in his meltdown before the children, you have the construction <laughs> worker who telling the story and cursing in front of the kids and talking about his superhuman strength to lift the car <laughs> off a woman who's been crushed. I mean, that whole thing builds to a nice crescendo that is once again sweet um, it's uh, affectionate in that you can relate to what's going on on screen. And even though the character's in trouble, mm-hmm. it's not mean-spirited, which I thought, you talked about The Hangover here earlier, getting back to that, those movies got mean towards their characters as they went along, whereas this stays pretty sweet towards everybody. Everybody's friends. Um, no one has done anything to each other that is so... Well, they're normal, you can't come right? Back I mean, this from- movie's normal. This feels like something that you could, that you could actually happen to you. You know, and I think that's a, a really nice thing about this movie. It's interesting to think that Stern was shooting this as Home Alone was coming out. If you watch that, the yeah. movies that made us, Stern says that every week as Home Alone stayed on the box office charts, they were given a more and more respect on on set. You know, like, hey, that, that little movie is really doing well. And uh, it became this thing. And this is the second collaboration between Crystal and Bruno Kirby after When Harry Met Sally. And they have a mm-hmm. nice little on-screen chemistry. And then... Coincidentally, Crystal and David Paymer, who has a small role here as the Ben and Jerry's uh, cohort, would go on to do Mr. Saturday Night. Did you ever see that movie that Crystal directed? Yeah. I like that movie. It's kind of a forgotten mm-hmm. little Billy Crystal movie. And he's directed a few, but I always liked that movie. This, the stand-up com- comedian guy in the 50s. Yeah, I mean, certainly watching this, you, I, I remember, or I don't remember, but I, I suppose I realize once again uh, that I like Billy Crystal and I miss Billy Crystal. I missed him too. And the last so, time I saw him was parental control or parental guidance. And that wasn't oh, very good. That's right. I did make that. He's just so uh, palatable, I guess. He's so easy to, to just sit down and just watch. And, and I don't know. I don't know what it is exactly. He was great uh, as a sidekick in running scared, which isn't a great movie. Um, mm-hmm. he, him and Gregory Hines have a nice flow and banter. He always seemed like he would make a good sidekick to an action hero kind of guy as well you know like, like a who got rob schneider tried to do that for a while and a couple other comedians sure and, uh, although he he because of this movie and when harry met sally he was really on a roll during this period that would peak uh, arguably with this because then it was all kind of downhill and misfires from here out we had uh, even though i like forget forget paris it's it's mm-hmm. not very good and you have father's day and my giant well, and things like that i don't uh I mean, I like Billy Crystal here in the 80s and 90s. He feels like the 90s to me. You know, when I, when I watch him, uh, you, you get that kind of that, that 90s warmth from it, right? You know, that VHS feeling. 
mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah, I, there should be and, a, and it doesn't, some video lines I mean, you in this. parental guidance and stuff, and it just doesn't seem to translate into modern uh, film very well. I, I wish he would do um, a little bit of uh, more controlling of the films in his style, you know, kind of like what Woody Allen does still. Because Woody Allen translates still, I think. And, but Woody Allen has changed his style slightly to accommodate uh, the newer film style, right? Something that, I, I don't know, Bill, Billy Crystal's too warm. I, I want that 90s warmth out of it. He does play a great warm character, which always made him, like you said, palatable on screen, but you instantly feel but a connection with him. And as he's aged, that connection, mm-hmm. because he's become a little bit more curmudgeon and, uh, you know, it's but almost like what point, happened right? to Chevy Chase. In this where movie, he's... This is a down movie, and yet he kind of lifts you up during those down points. Oh, this thing ends on such a high that people must have been buzzing when they walked out of the theater. I mean, I just I was glowing when oh, it was yeah. done. I was like, just you know, I wanted to like watch it again. It was it was one of those type movies. Uh, although it does get bogged down with the cattle, the, the cowboys who get drunk and out of control, and um, yeah. I think that there are segments of this movie that could be cut, including that last. 10 minutes where they are bringing the herd in and the big rainstorm it seems like they they mm-hmm. thought hey we need to deliver something here when I, I don't know if that was studio mandated or what but i think that they should have been a little bit more confident in what they had done already and realized that the movie didn't need that because it really doesn't that whole sequence could be i could down. agree with that um but i think for 91 uh i think it makes more sense as a theatrical film to do to go a little bit above and beyond. I don't think it makes sense nowadays, which they go way above and beyond. But in 91, um, you did have a VHS home video market, right? But it wasn't, it's just not the same back then uh, as watching things at home now. I mean, believe me, with the high def and stuff, uh, it was way different to watch a movie at home back then. So, right. Uh, so, yeah, with a theatrical release, you kind of want them to, to build it up a little bit more, maybe. And it was a big summertime release, and they, they were spending money on it here. The The budget, I believe, was only about $18 million, and this went on, to, like I said, to do a uh, $26 million budget, excuse me, uh, $180 million worldwide back then, which did about $300 million in today's money. So mm-hmm. this was a big money maker. Castle Rock did very well off this, established Billy Crystal back at the top. Daniel Stern got a boost from this. Um, Bruno Kirby would pass away, what, 2006, you said? Yeah, 2006. 2006. Yeah. But Helen Slater's in this, who I've always remembered as Supergirl from that yeah. really shitty 84 movie. I really like her, though. Do you? Because I've never have. I, I didn't no, like her in the I liked sweet, her in this. You didn't like her the in Michael this? Michael J. Fox one, the, smell oh, of my um, su- uh, the Secret of My Success. Secret of My Success, Which yeah. has a kick-ass fucking title song by Night Ranger. You ever heard of the, the, the Secret of My Success theme song? You put that shit on your Spotify, you'll be out there jogging tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., I tell you what, in the cold. It's good shit. I'm going to tell you right now, they're going to get more plays on Spotify because of this podcast. I want to kick back. But it is pretty surprising that this movie had, uh, first of all, it was written by Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel, who are responsible for some, some good, good films. Uh, I believe Parenthood is one of them, uh, along with, with numerous other things. They were originally on Happy Days. Um, they've written all sorts of random shit, uh, Ed TV, Multiplicity, Parenthood, like I said, Gun Ho, Splash. Uh, they actually wrote League of the Road. Mm-hmm. So those guys know what they're doing when it comes to writing. And I wonder if on the page this quote-unquote read or if they made this 
because that like <laughs> on set you know with the uh-huh. the casting and the the blocking because there are scenes in this that are very well structured and put together and i'm not sure that it was on the page all the way or if this was helped a lot by the creative forces that were making it what, what do you think you think this was pretty much written as is well i think i mean well if you're gonna shoot a western you, you know you get um, I mean, similar is obviously a good choice, but just get a anyone who fancies himself a, a director of photography, right? A cinematographer, and uh, you can make that look pretty beautiful, no matter what, right? You're just capturing the outdoors, Big <laughs> so that's not shots. that's not that difficult, yeah. And I don't know uh, how hard that makes blocking and stuff, but the blocking looks strong. I think the direction looks really strong in this film. Uh, if you watch it, as I already say, the the uh, the one thing scene is so freaking I the fact that Billy Crystal's character is obviously this is makes sense he's shorter than Jack Palance okay fine but he's looking up to him and Jack Palance is looking down on him as if you know as if he's getting this wisdom from some fatherly figure right from some adult and he's the child mm-hmm. um, but the camera angles reflect that too uh, in that scene I don't know it, I think it's uh, with probably a little bit of both. Obviously, this is a dialogue-heavy movie, so you probably, if you read the script, I don't know, what do you think? People ride on horseback as they talk, and then it's all dialogue, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> right? Yeah, how do you see that? Wouldn't how do you that visualize most of the that? Movie? Yeah. yeah. And this, this seems like uh, Ron Underwood, like I said, coming off Tremors, which he did a, a lot with very little in terms of... Uh, Tremors is really used. good, too. Tremors yeah. is very well done. I mean, Tremors is, is, is a director's calling card in a lot of ways because uh, it's a lot of what's not on screen is, is with soundtrack and, and well, things like that. You, yeah, I mean, just think about what Tremors is. It's a ridiculous, stupid horror comedy movie, right? And uh, and the fact that it's so well-regarded today is outlandish, but it's spawned, like, what, six sequels? Whatever, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, clearly... This guy can direct. I, I wish he would do more movies, but... Well, he uh, got his last shot with In the Mix, that terrible film starring Usher Raymond. No, did he direct that? Uh, I believe he did. Something... I gotta look that up now. You know what? I did not hate that movie, though. Oh, he Maybe did. this is why. You know, He did do In the Mix. Let me tell you... Let me tell you the cast of In the Mix. I, I'm... We got Usher Raymond. Oh, it's your girl's Emmanuel in it, right? Sharik from... Uh, your girl. Seth from entourage I'm, I'm glad we're i'm glad we're calling her my girl of course this is my real girl here's this she ain't gonna be happy about that um then we got chaz yeah, there, there was a, there was a time when you would not shut up about emmanuel shariki so well i still have it i just talk quieter now um and then <laughs> and then there's robert davi the guy who wants to kick the shit out of both of us yes i know our, our mortal enemy and if you if you don't know about that um we we talked about it ad nauseum on this show but uh, robert davi is both our friend and our mortal enemy he he is threatening both of us. I shouldn't say it'll sue us. He's a, he's a very nice man. He's, yeah. he's a very nice man, friend of the show. We have much respect for him. Um, and then Kevin Hart was in that film. So, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! I have, to, I have not obviously I haven't seen that for like when this even come out. It was like a decade ago. Decade. It was fifteen years 15 ago. Fifteen years ago, <laughs> two thousand five. And don't feel oh, bad that god. you didn't see it because not many people did see it. It only made ten million at the box office. Uh, oh yeah, was, I didn't see it in theaters. No, I got this uh, no. at the video store. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, nobody saw us in theaters. Um, I still, I didn't mind this movie. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. It's okay. I've seen The Adventures of Pluto Nash way more times than it needs to be seen. 
It's yeah, one of those movies I put on a fall you, asleep you, to. But you, you don't like it, right? I don't. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. All right, all right. I'll say this. There's worse Eddie Murphy movies. Yep, I said it. Well, that's true. So, it is yeah. what it is. I mean, Holy Man is fucking dog shit. Comparative. Uh, I mean, what, what's worse? Really, you could say that. Are you going to say that uh, A Thousand Words I forget. is worse than Pluto Nash? I never even seen A Thousand Words. Did you even know that was a movie? Yeah. It was. Meet Dave wasn't bad, actually. I know that Meet one. Dave is better like than Pluto Nash. Yeah, see? There's, there's ones that we all forget that are out there. I even like Vampire in Brooklyn. I actually like yeah, the shitty Eddie silly. Murphy movies, and there's a lot of them. But, you know, you see something like as docile and forgettable as The Distinguished Gentleman. Try to rewatch that, and then try to rewatch Pluto Nash, and Nash <laughs> is way easier to get through. Comparatively. I know that's shit and shit, but still. All right. Getting back to City Slickers, we're way off topic. <laughs> <laughs> Take myself laugh here. Oh, shit. In I'm glad mix. we saw this, though. I'm glad we revisited it. It was the movie I needed to see. It's, it's been a long time. Right. It wasn't the movie you deserved. It was the movie you needed. Which is even better. <laughs> you know, it's even better than what I, what I thought it was going to be. Well, what do you... I'm sorry. I, we can't end this without... Uh, at least discussing what we think the one true, what the one thing is, right? So what I got is, out of the isn't one that thing, the thing? Yeah. Okay, let me let me hear what you got out of the one thing. With the Jack Palance's famous find that one thing. What, what did well, you, if you listen? Uh, I think thematically, if you look at the movie, and then if you think about the speech up to the point when he says the one thing, you know, because he talks about um, turning away from true love, right? He talks about uh, being a cowboy when there were cowboys. Right, so he's made a decision in his life to be a cowboy. That's his one thing. That's really, I think that's his one thing is being a cowboy. But the one thing isn't, and even it, he says to Billy Crystal, you know, it's you make you figure out what the one thing is. But to me, I think the idea is focus. Right, like everyone comes up. He t- even tells Billy Crystal, everyone comes up here. They, they, these city folk, they got all this shit going on. Right, they don't know what the hell to do. They got too much things going on. Focus on one fucking thing, <laughs> right? One thing, and uh, you, you know, you'll get your life together. And that's kind of what a what a midlife crisis is, right? Is worrying about uh, what you're going to accomplish and what you have accomplished. Because guaranteed, most people when they when they hit around you know, late thirties, early forties, you're probably not where you thought you would be in your early twenties. Right? No, no. So yeah, you're all over the place trying to figure everything out. Very worried that maybe uh, you won't be able to turn your life into what you, you want it to be and things. And so just focus, calm down, focus yourself, you know, and figure out what you really want. I got, and see what would support that is at the end, your argument there was at the end when he got home and told his wife, like, I'm not quitting my job. I'm just going to do it better. I'm going to do all this. You know, he's focusing. He's uh, drilling mm-hmm. down. I got the one thing out of stop looking for what's what's what you could be doing different than that. Like, the one thing was the moment, like, to be with the people he loved the moment. You know what I mean? Like, this is the moment. This is the your mm-hmm. one thing. Like, mm-hmm. you're, you're with your friends. You're in the outdoor. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, to me, the one, it was just like a... How do I verbalize this? Hmm. That it was, he was lucky that he had his, he had the people he loved around him and the people he cared for around him. And that it was his family ultimately, but he was also his two best friends. 
and that they all were doing this together and that he, you know they resented these these trips but at the same time it was his he was there with his friends and he was going to make this work or he wasn't going to make this work but his his buddies there are the existential shit i mean it's phil who's going through the marriage crisis and it's his buddy who doesn't want to be a father and he had mm-hmm. the father situation where he beat up you know so it's this whole idea of like the family guy and the single guy and crystal's the middle so I don't know. I guess your one thing is much better than mine. I, I got it. Is like you're you know, saying, like the journey, right? Yeah, like like you know, everyone talks about the mm-hmm. fucking journey, and it's like the past. This that it's like no, it's like today. This is your what? Like for all you know, this is your one thing. Like you have today. I think that makes sense as well. I think you could. Uh, I think you can argue. Well, your argument was much a lot of the than things mine. that happen. <laughs> yeah, but I think you could you could you could seek out an argument that that that's valid. I think in this movie. That they were, you know, they're that taking this work, time. Yeah. That they were young enough to still be doing this kind of stuff as well. And my God, he's supposed to be 38. We're older than them now. Are, are, are these guys, <clears throat> did everyone just look older back then? I mean, was it was it in the water? I mean, what is going on? No one had good skincare? Yeah, they look like adults, right? I feel they like look 60. I feel like I'm still, <laughs> I still, <laughs> I know. I watch these guys and I think, hmm, I, uh. I don't, I don't Should I be having a midlife crisis at this point? Does my midlife crisis come when I'm 60? I'm lost. My God. <laughs> don't worry I, about it. Am I going to live to be 200? I don't know. They still look like my dad. I, I feel like I should be mm-hmm. listening to them for advice. So what do you... That's But that's a, an interesting thing, right? You look in the mirror, you still see yourself as young. <laughs> when I go out, I'm, people look at me like, that's an old son bitch right there. Oh, yeah. No, I, no, I get that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, shit. I see kids' IDs and they're uh, born after I graduated high school. It's not cool. <laughs> not fucking cool. I really enjoyed looking at this movie, though. It uh, it hit me right in the good spot, and it left me with a great feeling coming out of it. We don't get a chance to go back and look at much many comedies, and a lot of them don't hold up, honestly, over the years. We've had the, the big swings and, and misses there by checking out a few of our favorites, and it's always a scary thing to go back and look at a movie that you really respect and then come to find that it just doesn't hold water anymore. Whereas this movie kind of was the opposite. I I knew it was funny as a kid, and I, I, I kind of understood why, and I, there were some things that you could just always laugh at, even when you're uh, 12 or 13, but mm-hmm. this, as a as a middle-aged man, it just pains me to say that, a middle-aged man. I feel like Billy Crystal right now, movie. <laughs> don't yeah, like, don't say that. I don't even... On, on air midlife crisis. I don't even. I can't even process that. What you yeah, just right? said. What are you talking I, about? You're not. I, I, I never. I've never uttered man. that phrase before. Now I'm doing what it on air. What are you talking air. about? <laughs> I hope this is our least listened to episode ever because I don't want people to hear that. Uh, but you know, it, it definitely hit me right in the feels tonight. And uh, and I'm just talking about this was a reminder that the this movie's been around for a long time and that music and the the story and everything and i think that you could put this on for an, for an, any audience now uh granted they'd be a, a remake or a reboot. i agree you know what yeah. um and that's something that that i did think about when i watched this is um it's crazy this movie is what 30 years old yeah it applies today literally applies today like this that so in 30 years we've gone nowhere with this issue <laughs> But the issue of the midlife crisis, this is where we're at, you know? It's even Um, more prevalent today because the people are so caught up in technology, which isn't even a factor in this, but people are in the the social media. The woke stuff, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. it applies to all of that, you know, because that that was happening, obviously, in the 80s and the 90s as well. Um, uh, And so it's just interesting. Yeah, I find that interesting. And I agree with you. This is one of those movies that 
I remembered as a kid, VHS, watching it, enjoying it and everything. But watching this as an adult in 20, when did we watch this? 2019, 2020? Yeah. Was it last year that I saw this or this year? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Regardless, it was around uh, the time of this taping here. And uh, it, I got to say, it just makes you feel good, you know? Um, there aren't very many movies that come out nowadays that just make you feel good. No, if, even if they make you laugh, there's some sort of uh, ironic cool kid syndrome or no, there's gross always out something. Right. Yeah. This is just makes you feel good the entire time. Yeah, without being overly sentimental or cheesy. I'll say no. that too. It yeah, finds it the doesn't right hold tone. your hand either. Yeah. It runs with it yeah. and it does it well. Yeah. It's and there's some adult type flick. jokes in here. Is where solid flick is a well done. And yeah. I love the jokes about the VCR programming. That cracked me yeah. up. I always remember that because I never understood. Uh, people would always make this joke in the 90s that setting up VCRs was, so uh, was difficult. And, and even DVD players, when those came out, like. I see this all the time, and it's like, dude, you plug in some cables. Like, it's not like that is not hard at all. <laughs> but let, like making fun of that, like, it really, that's like people who were like setting up, uh, you know, uh, uh, audio equipment was hard, right? Like, like it's just like, see, it's like speaker wire. You plug it in. It's like, like there's not that. Cause, uh, it, look at technology today. Would would if you introduced anyone from like the early '90s to te- to like an iPhone, like here use it, they'd fucking die. His head would explode, literally. <laughs> yeah, they. I they don't understand TikTok, so I, I can't even say anything. So. Yeah, so the whole idea of not of not understanding how uh, the, the tuner works in the VCR is insane to me. But I, I do remember that. I mean, I specifically remember that as a kid, and even then, um, you know, as not even a teenager, thinking. Really? You don't get that? <laughs> what the hell? It's a great VCR joke. And this was one of the big, uh, maybe one of the all-time VHS rental champs uh, because this was everywhere. People, I would, mm-hmm. as, as big as this was in the theater, I would say it was equally as big on home video. Huge. If not bigger. Huge. Yeah, everyone, everyone had seen this movie. Yeah, this was... Uh, very, Adults very and kids, movie. though it was this was a family movie. This was a movie kids could watch and enjoy as well. Um, even though it was PG thirteen, I think even younger than that uh, could easily watch this movie. And uh, I think you would you would agree with me in recommending um, anyone at any age watch this movie. Hell yeah, I, absolutely. And this, in fact, if you go back and look at some of the top grossing films of nineteen ninety one that summer, at least uh, you're talking Terminator two, Robin Hood. Point, uh, uh, point breaks in there. But don't watch you Robin have, Hood. You right. have this. Uh, you have the Naked Gun two. I mean, outside of Point Break, those basically are all kind of family films. Those could be watched by the entire family. I don't I know about that Naked Gun two and a half or whatever. I, I mean, we that's saw a that as, uh, as a as a kid. I mean, there's a couple of racy I did jokes. yes, but I don't know that that's a family movie. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of racy jokes. Kids were a lot, we were a lot thicker skinned back then. We okay. were allowed to watch a lot of shit. Yeah, <laughs> we had cable. So I I mean I, I would I would say sure most things um, I think from the nineties uh, I would let kids watch you know maybe there's some ultra violent stuff maybe you'd take pause with but i think most of that stuff is even so cartoony uh no very get flicks away with it unless it's starship troopers as far as i'm concerned <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, and it's funny because I was actually thinking of like RoboCop and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Which so I, I agree saw with my you there, birthday, but, but so it depends. <laughs> yeah, again, it depends on on the kid, probably. Really, how many sleepovers where someone's parents rented a movie they shouldn't have, and 13, <laughs> oh, 14 t- kids 
Got um, exposed hello. to a fucking basic instinct we or watched, whatever it was. Uh, well, how, yeah, I don't know how old I was. 14? Uh, but we were sitting there watching Faces of Death. Oh, yeah. If you don't you know, know what Faces of Death is, that was the and I just, real life death oh, movies that I caught on tape, which mostly be, were bullshit, we, by the way. <laughs> they were fake. Yeah. yeah. But I remember seeing people like being hung and just these horrible things. My mom, like, like sitting there looking at me like, this is so fake. And I was like, I'm mortified. What are you talking about? This me is too. Faces Hands death. cut off and this shit. This is yeah. real, man. This is real. <laughs> and of course, yeah, once I got the, once the internet came into being, uh, you yes. quickly found out that it's not, it wasn't. Yeah, but those were. Not uh, so real. Some of those were held like in the porn section at the video stores. Your parents had to go get yes, eighteen they were. or over, you know, because those those were very graphic, though. Yeah, but they were the bullshit. Uh, I worked at a video store, yeah, a couple of them, and we put that on and just amused ourselves by watching it, like in the back room. And just there was one where I was like, "Oh my god!" They and some of them were terrible, like actual people getting mauled by a bear or something. But a lot of them were so funny yes. that. It was not even... Not well, you could say maybe... I don't know. Some of them were questionable as to whether they were real or not. They were really... Because um, I don't know anyone that would put together special effects that good for some of that stuff. You know, Some of them looked really bad. Yeah. They looked... I mean, fake. Looked really fake. And, and other ones were... Yeah, I don't know. They did not look fake. I can't believe we rounded our City Slickers so sweet, great <laughs> flick talk into Faces of Death. With Faces I mean, of that Death. Is, that is such a lean in on the wrong thing. Is that even it's a thing anymore, though? Because remember, because they were like a million. I remember you go there, you'd be like faces of death, and then, and then pretty soon you, there's like faces of death eight, or like twenty three, oh, a million. Like, how how many fucking them the Super Bowl? Yes, does. no shit. That's. I mean, you would learn Roman numerals just by watching faces of death movies. Oh, I learned them off Rocky movies, but past that, yeah, you're right. You're right. It was after five. I was like, okay, what are we doing here? I wonder if they make those anymore. There were so many of them. Yeah, they're just they're just fucking called the internet, man. It's just it's on just the internet YouTube now. now. <laughs> yeah. Kids oh, are like God. not even impressed by that kind of shit anymore. We show them that they're like, that's stupid. Oh, it's probably actually real now. That's a scary thing. I mean, you want to feel old? Talk about midlife crisis. Try to show any movie you like to to somebody younger, and just see the, oh, no the reaction. Shit. Of yeah, just, don't do that. Don't make yeah. that mistake. No, it just it. I just feel like I was a lot more receptive to watching movies recommended by older people. When I was younger, than the younger generation is now. Oh, 100%. Yeah, you, anyone that would give you any insight to, uh, to anything. I mean, I remember working at, at the old folks' home, and a guy there, I worked in a dining room there, and one of the guys there was really into to anime stuff. And he knew all the good fucking movies, and he would loan me his VHS tapes and things. He would watch that. I'd be like, holy shit, like, this guy knows fucking everything. But I didn't have the internet. Yeah. I mean, you how would I know? So the thing is this, when we didn't have it all, it's like, if, if I don't have access to streaming, if I wouldn't have any access to that, would I watch my physical media more? I think I would. I well, think I'd, I'd watch re-watch, the shit out of it. <laughs> I think that I would get more I out agree. of things. There, there used to be, um, and this is really rounding off into and a strange I did, topic but- here, but do you think that the lack of having rewatchable movies is why there's no real classics. Because when you had yes. X amount of movies, you would rewatch the shit out of them. Whether it's yeah, Footloose, Ghostbusters, so. uh, Universal Soldier, whatever it was that you owned, Home Alone, that you would just rewatch that and you'd get the nuances and the, the tones and the rhythms mm-hmm. and everything became second nature to you in a certain sense. And you fell in love with those fucking movies. Yeah, it's definitely overload at this point. And uh I don't know. I will say there's a quality issue nowadays because we, the, I mean, I remember people complaining about cookie cutter movies, but um, whew, 
you know, today is, uh, I, it's, it's unreal to me that it's, it's gotten to this point, but <clears throat> Um, I, even the big movie, like everything up for an Oscar this year, I look at it and I just think, God, that is really uh, the epitome of Oscar bait. You know, like, yeah, it's, like of a, of a it's just so obvious yeah. at this point. Yeah, like everything's so obvious. Can, is there nothing? Does someone just not just sit down and make a movie anymore? Is it always? It feels like everything is made by committee at this point. I mean, there's I definitely agree. studio interference back in uh, the '90s too. I mean, this, like I said, this movie has, uh, this is, but not, uh, not, but this is, not as much. City Slickers is a good example of studio filmmaking, though, in my opinion. Like, this is a movie that's made in the studio system, but it's the kind of thing that American films in the '90s were doing very well. This is like a prime example of of good old-fashioned studio making, because mm-hmm. it's got a star package, it's got a budget, it's got a heavy release and marketing behind it. There's no way, there's no way that this idea can get redone, though. It, it really can't because. But it would be such a good uh, idea. It would be such a good thing to to make right now. I agree, but they tried it in certain things. I would say this is going to sound really odd, but without a paddle, had a lot of the same. I like without that a paddle, but I agree. But that movie is just a lesser movie, right? I, I mean, 100%. you can tell that someone's not. You can just tell that it's not as mature. Like whoever's making that movie is not mature enough to 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 tackle these ideas and these things. It's more of an Adam um, but I do type like movie. that movie, but yeah, yeah, it's more of a ridiculous comedy. Yeah, but that's the last kind of time I saw where three guys go off into this adventure to find themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, at least from a, a big studio perspective, uh, we talked about The Hangover, but I mean that's that's a far darker target comedy than anything. Oh yeah, and that goes off the rails as you move down the the trilogy there. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> that's a that's a strange trilogy. But I'm glad we saw this. Are you glad we rewatched this? Obviously. I'm incredibly glad. Yeah, that I yeah. saw this. Did you watch this on DVD, VHS? What did you look at this on? Blue yeah, I, I rented this uh DVD from the library. Oh, okay, so you saw it on DVD. Mm-hmm. I actually watched a VHS copy. Oh, and it had all lovely. the good stuff. It was four by three. It had pan and scan. Tell me it, it had, had tracking issues. Tell me it, it had, had tracking oh, issues. It didn't have tracking issues, oh. but I'll tell you what it had. It had a, in 1991, the ultimate home video yes. release is C2, the yes. fucking trailer. And it was the teaser oh. where Schwarzenegger's like the robot getting oh compressed, God. you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was great. It's great. Sony's, you know, they, they, they knew it was coming. And that's one of the few movies that if you do ever uh, wind up watching uh, in full screen, as one might might have said 10 years ago, um, it is uh, reframed. So it's a completely different movie. You're talking about T2. T2, yes. Oh, yeah. It's an it, it, interesting uh, cut, yeah. There's YouTube variations on it. There, It is. It, it's a whole different movie on VHS, and it feels like that when you watch it. But uh, all right, that's going to wrap it up for this retro episode of City Slickers. We want to thank you guys for listening, and we implore you to go back and take a look at this somewhat forgotten gem that features Billy Crystal and an Oscar-winning performance by Jack Palance. Speaking for Trevor Anderson, I am Jason Rugard, and we are the Movie Mavericks. Oh my, another magnificent episode has come to an end. If you're craving more, set your destination to moviemavericks.com, warp 9. Engage! Engage!